Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. <clears throat> I'm one of the elders for our church. Christians around the world recently celebrated Easter, which is a day we commemorate, a day on which we commemorate the most impactful event in human history, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're crazy enough in this church to believe that the very God who created the world entered the world. He became a man. He was born of a virgin. Not only that, but we're crazy enough to believe that the very God who created the world and then entered the world as a man died. He didn't merely faint or appear to go unconscious. He truly died and was buried. And then we're crazy enough to also believe that the God who created the world and then entered the world as a man and then died, this same God-man rose from the dead three days later. He now lives and reigns forever as king of heaven and earth. He will come back one day and make right everything that has ever gone wrong. And we who die while loyal to him will live and reign forever with him. This is what we believe because this is what the Bible teaches. And we're here once again this morning to commemorate these things. Thank you so much for joining us. I have just one question this morning, which is that if these things are true, then why would we ever think our lives would be most improved by things like getting an education, establishing a better career, making more money, or even getting closer to our friends and our families? Here we are celebrating the most impactful event in human history and the focus of our attention and our concern typically goes to all these other things that we expect to really make us happy and whole. So please consider with me this morning, what is it that holds the power to change your life? This morning, I hope to show you from the ancient book of Proverbs that nothing has the power to improve your life like wisdom. Wisdom will improve the quality of your life, the length of your life, and the eternity of your life. And wisdom is worked out most fully in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for our time together in God's word as we dig in. 
Our Father in heaven, Lord, please show us your truth and the way you made the world of that which has the greatest power to improve our lives. Show us wisdom. I pray that you would please show us Jesus, the son of David, risen from the dead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First point on your outline is the quality of life. This is the first thing that wisdom has the power to improve, is the quality of your life. As we each live our lives, every one of us is heading in one direction or another. You can look up on the screen at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live... But he who pursues evil will die. In this ancient book of wisdom literature, it really is as simple as that. Death is where evildoers are heading. Life is where the righteous are heading. And this isn't simply a once and done sort of decision. It's not like anybody can go to church once or say a prayer once or in any other way, get in with the good guys and be all set. Oh no, because life and death are the directions in which either the righteous or the wicked are heading. These pathways are not static. Any one of us can turn from either direction to go back the other way at any time. Look at chapter 21, verse 16. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. You see, you can be on the pathway of good sense one day, but then turn from it the next. And if you don't wise up to the fact, then before you know it, you found your rest in the assembly of the dead. You've joined those who were heading toward death, and you'll arrive just in time for the annual membership meeting. But what does that mean? To head toward death or toward life. Because we need to be careful not to read our own preconceptions back into these ancient texts with our fully fleshed out doctrines as we think of them, of doctrines of the afterlife. What did this book of Proverbs at the time it was written mean by death and by life? There are multiple ways that I can answer that question because the book of Proverbs has a multifaceted picture of both death and life. But we need to let the book itself answer the question for us. So one key place we'll look is in chapter 8 where wisdom is personified as an attractive and noble lady. And she says in verses 35 and 36, whoever finds me wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So according to wisdom from her own mouth, life 
is connected to obtaining God's favor and death is connected to injuring ourselves. So there is a sense in which life and death may not exactly be talking about what we today would think of as the afterlife. But these words often refer in the Bible to the quality of one's life lived here and now. Will you live under the pleasure, the favor, the acceptance of God along with its attendant blessings? Or will you live in a way that leads to your own harm? And the thing that makes the difference between those two in these verses is whether or not you find wisdom. Here's one example of how wisdom affects your quality of life. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, maybe you've already experienced how this works. Maybe you are more familiar than you want to be with this principle. You open your mouth and you say something rash. People get offended. Perhaps they lose trust in you or fights erupt and friends become enemies. And you realize it would have gone so much better for you if you had just kept your mouth shut. If you had set a closer guard over your words. Because the person with the wisdom to guard his or her words preserves their life. They experience a higher quality of life than those who speak rashly and foolishly. And the biggest thing... That affects your pursuit of wisdom and therefore the quality of your life. The biggest thing is whether you fear the Lord or whether you care only about being true to yourself. Look at chapter 19 verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. See, here is the primary indicator of whether you will find wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Are you fearing God? So how does this apply? Please understand this morning that the greatest power to improve your life will never come from money, or career, fame, friendship, or power. The greatest power to improve your life comes from wisdom. And wisdom is not possible unless you fear the Lord. That is, you give greater weight to what God says than to what others say, including your own heart. That's what it means to fear the Lord. But wisdom's power to improve your life has to do with more than just the quality of your life. That's what we've seen so far. But the book of Proverbs also speaks to the length of life. Point number two, the length of life. And that's right. The wisdom of God will not only make your life better, 
it will also make your life longer. Look at chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. See, the fear of the Lord, which is the first step of wisdom, prolongs life. And I know many of you are thinking, what? That's okay. Because we need to understand what this verse is saying and what this verse is not saying. The Bible does not promise that those who live in wisdom or righteousness are guaranteed to live to a certain age. As though those who died before they turned 80 or 90 did something wrong. No, the Bible is very clear that we live in a broken and a fallen world. That means that sometimes tragedies happen. People Godly, wise people in their prime lose their lives to drunk drivers. Teenagers can suffer heart failure. And babies die in infancy. This is tragic, but these are facts of life. It's, these things are not pleasant, but they are facts which we must remember and we must lament. So the Bible does not promise a certain minimum lifespan to any one of us. But what the Bible does say, that we must not pretend it doesn't say, is something that is closely backed up by common sense. Which is that people given to foolishness will not live as long as they could have otherwise lived. It is a truism that running across busy streets without looking will greatly increase your chances of a fatal run-in with a motor vehicle. And high cholesterol causes heart attacks, so a gluttonous eater of meat and sugar will not live as long as they could have lived had they pursued a wiser diet. And in addition to these facts of medicine and physiology is the frank spiritual truth that when a foolish person is addicted to wickedness, then it is a great joy to both God and humanity when God cuts short such wickedness, even at the cost of the wicked person's life. This is the prayer of the righteous, that God would bring an end to both evil and evildoers, especially evil rulers who oppress and slaughter their people. We pray that justice and righteousness would reign supreme on earth, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So wisdom dramatically affects the length of one's life. This is why Proverbs speaks of the person caught in sexual sin like this in chapter 5, verse 23. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So you can get yourself killed. You can die younger 
by living in certain sins. And by wisdom, a person's life can be prolonged. Yet, bodily death is coming for every one of us. And those who pursue folly can hasten their own demise. Now, we generally find it impolite and uncouth to speak of the connection between a person's choices and the consequences of those choices. To, to, to state that there's a direct connection between your choice and the consequences of your choice, it's often considered arrogant or classist or shaming of people for their natural desires. You're telling me I can't, shouldn't eat so much sugar or drink so much alcohol I'm, or smoke so much I'm harming myself? Yeah, sorry. But, we, but often we think of it as just shaming people, but the Bible makes no bones about drawing this connection. There is a direct line between what you desire and the impact of that desire on your life. For one example, look at chapter 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard, the lazy person, kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. See, he, 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 his desire to be lazy and just sit around and do nothing ends up killing himself. So nothing has the power to improve your life like the wisdom of God. Wisdom has a tremendous power in the here and now. Wisdom has more influence than anything else on both the quality of your life and the length of your life. But I would do you a disservice if I stopped there. Yes, the book of Proverbs cares quite a bit about our lives here and now. But the Proverbs also maintain a distinct sense that this is not all there is. There is another life coming after this one and we'd be fools to live now as though life then didn't exist. So let me finally show you the tremendous impact of wisdom on point number three, the eternity of life. Now, because Jesus hadn't come yet when Proverbs was written, th this book of Proverbs sometimes speaks in somewhat vague or shadowy language, but there are enough hints here and there that we ought to understand that there is another life for which we hope to prepare, another life worth attaining to. Look at chapter 12, verse 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Again here, he speaks of the righteous, of righteousness. And the path of these people is one that leads to life. And in fact, here he says their path is life. But you see what he adds on this pathway, there is no death. Now, it's possible that he's still speaking only of the quality of life here and using the words life and death in that sense, saying that there is no death for the righteous. In other words, there's less pain, there's no regret, there's much blessing. That's possible. In the light of this book, he, it does use those words in that way multiple times. But there's enough of a hint here that there's no death on this pathway. 
There's enough of a hint to keep us on our toes. So maybe there's something else going on here. So look at chapter 14, verse 32. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Ah, listen to this. Proverbs is clear that the righteous person still dies. But he or she finds refuge in that death. In other words, it's becoming slightly more clear that the author of Proverbs believes that there is something coming beyond death. There is a final overthrowing of the wicked in this verse, and there is a final refuge for the righteous. Let's keep going. Look at chapter 11, verse 7. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. Now, if death were the end for everyone, then the Bible would say that when anyone dies, their hope perishes. In other words, you are, if you are dead and gone, there is nothing left to hope for here on earth. But instead, we're told that death's power to vanquish hope applies only to the wicked. When death comes, for those who have turned away from God, or those who tried to pretend that he wasn't all that important, death will bring their hope to an end. Upon death, there will be no hope left for the wicked. But remember... It doesn't have to stay that way. You can turn aside from that path before it is too late. Fear the Lord. Give your allegiance to your creator, the God who has now revealed himself as the man, Jesus Christ. Attach yourself to him and you can be reborn to a living hope. And Proverbs begins to provide such assurance that there is something coming beyond clinical death. And death itself will vanquish any hope that the wicked might have to participate in that next life. But here is the good news. Proverbs says that it is possible to be delivered from death. Look at chapter 13 verse 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. <clears throat> you see, the Bible teaches you and me wisdom. And that the Bible doesn't do that to condemn us, but to give us life. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. If you listen to the teaching of this book, you too can turn away from the snares of death. Look at chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 
This verse is identical to the previous one, except for the subject of the sentence. The fountain of life in this verse is not only the teaching of the wise, as it was in in 13.14, but now it's the fear of the Lord. As I mentioned before, that phrase in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, means that you listen to the Lord more than you listen to anyone else especially yourself. Our culture constantly tells us to look within, to follow our hearts, to be true to ourselves. But friends, that will never give us life. In fact, such thinking is a clear pathway to an eternal death. Instead, please turn to God. Listen to Him. Turn aside from your evil ways and live. Let me show you one more verse that starts to get a little more clear. Chapter 15, verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol Beneath. Now, the prudent in this verse is a synonym for the wise. These are those who listen to and are loyal to the Lord God. As we've seen, their wisdom is a path of life. Here in this verse, we learned that their path leads upward. Upward. Not onto a mountaintop, not into outer space, but away From Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave. But it's a special Hebrew word. It doesn't just mean the place in the ground where bodies are laid. It also refers to the place where dead souls were believed to congregate awaiting a future judgment. This verse shows that it is possible for human folks to avoid the standard fate of dead humanity. It is possible to turn away from the death that never ends and to find a life that never ends, a life that moves upward, meaning that it gets better and better and better and better for the rest of eternity. Now, our biggest challenge in reading Proverbs, however, is that these ideas are very murky in this book, right in the middle of the Bible. There's definitely some concrete beliefs here about life and about death and and some about the afterlife, but it is a little bit like driving in a downpour with malfunctioning wiper blades. I mean, I can see something there, but it's not really as clear as I would prefer especially when life and death are at stake. We're told that life is for the righteous and death is for the wicked. My guess is that since you're here this morning, you would probably not consider yourself among the wicked. But here's the ultimate question of Proverbs that we must take up in the Bible, which is, are you righteous? In other words, have you attained a state of full acceptance 
by God with nothing on your record to keep you from him. Because there are only two options. If you are not righteous, if you are not fully accepted by God, then you are numbered among the wicked. And this is not great news. So we ought to realize that the book of Proverbs speaks about the wisdom of God, but in a way that causes us to wait and watch for something more. Someone more. What does all this mean? We need someone who can show us the way to life. A way that turns aside from the snare of death. And after the book of Proverbs was written, later in uh, the Jewish history, the Jewish prophets came along and, and they delivered further messages from God that spoke of life and of death. The prophet Jonah spoke about being rescued from the pit of death. The prophet Nahum spoke about the eternal destruction awaiting the enemies of God. The prophet Isaiah spoke about the new heavens, about a new heavens and a new earth that would one day replace the current heaven and earth. The prophet Ezekiel spoke about the people of of Israel returning from their exile as though they were dry bones being resurrected to new life. And the prophet Daniel spoke about the people of God being resurrected at the end and being given new bodies that would shine with glory like the stars of heaven. So the Jewish people watched and they waited for all these things to work themselves out. They were looking ahead to the last day when God would vindicate them as his people, when he would resurrect the nation once more to its position of former glory and the surrounding wicked nations would be cast from the earth forever. But then a man came along, a teacher named Jesus who said some utterly remarkable things. He said that the end the Jews were waiting for had already begun. He himself had brought it. And instead of God's resurrecting all the Jewish people, the entire nation at the end of time, something utterly remarkable happened and God resurrected just one man from the defilement of death. Yes, Jesus Christ, who declared himself to be wiser than the author of Proverbs, he died on a Roman cross. He was laid in a tomb cut out of the rock. But three days later, Like the prophet Jonah emerging from the bowels of the sea, Jesus came forth fully human and fully divine. He rose having been declared innocent of all charges that had led to his death. God the Father gave Jesus the seat at his right hand from which the resurrected Jesus now lives and reigns until all of his enemies will fall. And along the way, Jesus said some pretty extreme things about life and about death. 
For example, look at John chapter 11, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus speaks about the life promised in the book of Proverbs. And he says that life is no longer a fuzzy scene viewed through a wet windshield. He declares that the life has arrived. It can provide a refuge and turn you away from Sheol, from the grave. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the resurrection. If you want all that the book of Proverbs promises, you can find it only in Jesus. And all you have to do is believe. Do you believe this? And, and believing doesn't refer to merely assenting to a few facts. It has everything to do with your allegiance. Pledge allegiance to Jesus, the King of Kings, and life is yours. You can never die in the final sense of it. Sure, your spirit may one day expire, and your body may be laid in a grave or be burned to ash, But your path from there leads ever upward that you may turn away from Sheol beneath. And one day Jesus will return to make everything new. And if you were loyal to him, you will be raised from the dead along with him. You will get your body back. Only it will shine with his glory like the stars of heaven. Friends, at the center of of the Christian faith is Jesus' resurrection. And at the end of the Christian faith is our own resurrection. That which happened in the middle of history to Jesus, God promises to do again at the end of history to all who are loyal to him. Would you prefer to improve your life for only a few years? Or for forever. You can find such life. Only by trusting in the risen Jesus Christ. So in conclusion. The greatest power to improve your life. Is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God was demonstrated supremely. When he raised Jesus from the dead. So please trust That Jesus' resurrection has secured for you a life that can never end. Don't live as though anything else has the power to improve your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please grant us the courage and the strength to believe what you have said to trust that it is true. May we grasp a hold of the life that never ends and may we recognize this life in Jesus alone for we will find it nowhere else. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.